Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. You'll be set Today we're in 2 Kings 22. And I'm calling it, I Did It God's Way. Some of you might be thinking of the Frank Sinatra song where he says, I did it my way. Uh, That's the song that the past couple of kings of Judah had sang. That's not a very good tune for Christians to go by. We do everything God's way. The kings before chapter 22, they did everything their own way. They did not do it God's way, which provoked God to anger. They set up false gods everywhere, including inside the temple. That's not God's way at all. And you remember King Manasseh died and his uh, son King Ammon had died, and they were both buried without royal honor. You see, if you want God's favor on your life, if you want royal honor from the Lord God, you got to do things his way. So let's see what King Josiah does in 2 Kings 22 and 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedebleh, and I'm, I'm a redneck, and I, I just tear Hebrew words up, so, you know, that's just me. His mother's name was Jedida, the daughter of Adea of Bozkath, and that's the way it's going to be from my mouth, okay? Verse 2, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So good for him. He's doing things right. And Josiah was one of Judah's best kings because he didn't do things his own way. It says he walked in the ways of his father David. So you can see that doing what is right before the Lord means that you cannot be doing things your own way. He didn't do it his own way. He did it the way David did. He had a standard to follow, and he followed that standard. When you do things your own way, like Manasseh and King Ahab and all those guys did things their way, that gets you in trouble. Josiah did not sing, I did it my way. He sang a different tune. He sang, I did it God's way. But during this time in history, there is a really interesting shift in world power at this point in history. You know, lately in the book, we've been reading about how the Assyrians were the world's dominant superpower. The Assyrians were coming after everybody. But during Josiah's reign, there was a major shift of power towards the Babylonian Empire because Nineveh at that time, the capital of Assyria, was destroyed in 612 BC. And this was right during this period of time. So for whatever reason, Assyria is out, but now Babylon became the new big bully on the block. Now, I want us to recall how the Lord had warned Judah about their unrepentant sin in 2 Kings 21, verse 14. He said, I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies. Okay, God said this. Wow. 
But historically at this time, we know that the Babylonian captivity of Israel was about to happen, hadn't happened yet. But that Babylonian captivity, it took place somewhere around 600 B.C. or so. Josiah reigned from 640 to 609 B.C. So this means the Babylonian captivity was just around the corner for them, but not while Josiah reigned. And I think this is why this global power shift happened into Babylon's uh, favor. They have the power now because the Lord was positioning Babylon to overtake Israel just as he had warned the tribe of Judah. He said, you're going to be taken away captives. Here comes Babylon getting ready to do it. So it makes you look at how Josiah came along as a pretty good king, but soon before the captivity came out, before the captivity hit the Israelites at this time, it just goes to show you how the Lord was extending Israel one more shot of grace. They had a good king. He promised that captivity was coming but he held it off while Josiah lived. So it says Josiah was king at just eight years old. A lot of people think that's that's too young to put somebody as a king. An eight-year-old doesn't understand what's going on right from wrong. But I want you to look at the parallel story here in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, that's very important. It says, while he was still a youngster, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. So, friends, this is an amazing piece of scripture here. That This, this kid is eight years old. While he was still young, he started looking for the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he started doing something about it. He started implementing measures. But at eight years old, It says, he was looking for the God, the true one God of Israel, at eight years old. Friends, look at this. He's very young, and he's already looking for the Lord God. He was quite capable of choosing to follow the Lord God for himself. Now, I have literally seen it in some churches where the pastor refuses to let young children come forward to accept Jesus Christ, because in that pastor's mind, He felt they were not fully capable of really understanding what they were doing. And I I don't agree with this stuff. According to this story here, there's, there's that thing called the age of accountability. It is the belief that children are given automatic salvation until they reach a certain age, and then they lose salvation, and then they have to choose the Lord to get it back again. The age of accountability is not in the Bible. Man invented that that it totally disregards the fact that we are all born sinful. We are all born guilty from day one. Now, being automatically saved from being just because you're a kid, that means you're saved without Christ because you're just automatically saved, okay? Then you lose it, which violates the covenant promise of being sealed, and then you got to get it back again. That, friends, that's just not biblical. So people have invented this this reason that children— they think children cannot choose for themselves to follow the Lord yet because they're too young, they're not mature enough, they don't know how to speak the language, they're not smart enough, whatever number of reasons we heap on them. So we have to come up with some kind of new way, some new theology that's just not in the Bible and it's not true. Okay, we read here in Second Kings 22, they can choose to follow the Lord. It says when he was eight years old, while he was still young, and you need to underline that part in your Bible, it says while he was still young. 
Not only did he choose to seek the God of Israel, but he knew enough that when he became 12, I think it was, it said that he, he knew to get all the false God worship out of Israel. So friends, never discount young children and dismiss them as incapable. Never base salvation upon intellect or maturity, because even mentally challenged children, even if you can't have full discussions with them because they're limited in their mind for for whatever reason, that does not dismiss them as incapable of being able to receive the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior, because it is the Father God who draws his people to Jesus, not you and I, not intelligence, not maturity. I mean, face it, really, guys, if it took intelligence to get saved, we not a one of us could be saved. That's an intelligence way above us. The Father God draws his people, regardless of age. And I just say, praise God for this passage we've been reading here where Josiah really understood the Lord enough to follow him at just eight years old. And even later, a few years later, he decided to purge the nation of false god worship at such a young age. I just had to cash in on that piece of scripture. Second Kings 22 and 3. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Mishalem, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work, to repair the damages of the house, to carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hands, because they deal faithfully. Wow. You're given a bunch of money to get work done, and they said, accountants, you just keep your hands out of it. These guys are good. You don't even have to worry. <laughs> How many? You just don't see business done like that these days. So during the past 50 years under King Manasseh, the temple had fallen under disrepair. You remember Manasseh, he even put false altars to the false gods. He put them in the temple of all places. That does not go there. And so it was obviously the temple was in bad shape. So now after so many several years of following the Lord, Josiah found it necessary, hey, we got to put the temple back in order again. We've got to restore it the way it's supposed to be. God bless him. So this is why he sent Shaphan. He says, I want you to go start the repair work. But why did Josiah wait for several years to start this project? Why did he wait? Maybe from 8 to 12, he had to discover the Lord and discover fully that we had to, we got to get this temple back. I don't know. Maybe there was not enough money yet to get it done. But for several years, the doorkeepers had been collecting money from the people. And now finally, I guess there was enough money to do the work. For whatever reason, it's time to do it now, okay? I think Josiah knew about the same strategy that King Joash had done back in 2 Kings 12, 10 chapters ago. It's the same format. What they did is say, hey, let's count up the money that's been collected for a while ever since everybody turned back to God, and now take that money and let's put it towards restoring the temple of the Lord. Second Chronicles 34 verse 11 says, They gave it to the craftsmen and builders to buy hewn stone and timber for beams 
and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully. See, they did it faithfully. Accountants, you don't need to count every nickel and dime. These guys are good. We'll just let, we know they're going to do it right. Wow, what a good culture to live in where everybody's doing the right thing with integrity. But we have seen this big 180 degree turn from what the former kings had done. They destroyed everything. And now it's very different to what Josiah was doing here. I say, gosh, what a, what a good turnaround. And these faithful workers, where did they suddenly get this? Where did they get them? Where did these faithful workers just suddenly come from? Suddenly, they actually want to do the Lord's work like this. Where did they come from? Proverbs 29 verse 2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Josiah was Judah's new king, and when he looked for the Lord, the righteousness in that decision of his, it trickled down from him as the king. It trickled down through his authority, and it got into the people underneath him, and that's what gave people the work and the drive to really want to serve the Lord God. With so much honesty, they didn't even need the accounted money given to them. The accountants didn't even have to look over it. Verse 7 says, it was known of them that they dealt faithfully. What a time to live where everybody really wants to serve the Lord God. Can you see how much you can get done? When everybody's heart is truly in it, not for themselves, but for the Lord. Today, our culture, everybody's into everything for them. It's for themselves. What if we had a culture where everybody wants to do everything for the Lord? Wouldn't you want to be in that? Friends, guess what? There is a culture like that. It's a culture of the body of Christ. Get in the body of Christ. Get into a Bible-believing church and see what it's like. You'll love it. 2 Kings 22, verse 8. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. (laughs) Oh, things are getting good now. So the book of the law, it was probably the first five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch. That may have been what they had there. So if you want to know what they read here, go home and read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That may give you the same thing that what they had in this book here in 2 Kings. Now, the previous kings, Manasseh and Amon, they, they were such God-hating bad guys that they most likely destroyed all known copies of this law. And so finding this one hidden book, maybe it was hiding under a brick or something, it was hidden, they, they never found it, okay? But finding it was very significant. Now, this story here kind of reminds me of when the Maccabees, they came into the to restore the temple after the Hellenists had destroyed everything and put other false gods and everything. But they had to go relight the menorah, the the lampstand. But they only found one sealed jug of oil to relight the lampstand. But I think the Lord God hid that approved jug of holy oil specifically for them to find because they came to restore the temple. So look here. Do you think that Josiah just 
happen to find this book of the law? (laughs) Or do you think that it was God's perfect plan? Finally, we have an obedient king now that it's time for him to receive the knowledge of the law right when they were restoring the temple. Look at the time in here, guys. You know God had to have his hand on that. So now that Josiah had the desire to follow the Lord, not only did it lead the people back to God, but now Judah's king and high priest, we read, are both able to sit down together and read God's law together. Isn't that great? Now they know how to do things right because they have God's law. Now they're reading what God expects. Now they can do it God's way. 2 Kings 22 and 11. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Helkiah the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Akbor, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Now, the reason why Josiah tore his clothes is because that's what the ancient Jews did. And I think they some even still do it today. That's what they did when they were distressed. It was just sometimes we beat our chest. Sometimes we go pound the ground with our fist. I don't know. They tore their clothes. And, you know, I'm thinking the kings before him, Manasseh and Amon, they didn't care one bit about their sin against the Lord. In fact, they sinned willfully. They That's what their life was made of. They enjoyed it. But this bothered Josiah so much. He found out what the law expected. He realized we have not been doing it at all. It bothered him so bad. It distressed him so bad that he tore his clothes over it. This just shows you how different Josiah was from the two kings before him. So when Josiah read God's word, it cut him right straight to the core to discover just how far down Judah had gotten into sin. And that sin, oh my gosh, friends, hear this. It upset him. It upset him so bad that he wept over it. When's the last time your sin hurt you with guilt and I'm sorry and and regret and forgive me, God, that it got you to figuratively rip your clothes and weep over it? Josiah was afraid for himself and for the people of Judah because God's wrath was so hot against them for the sins they had committed. Our culture doesn't care anymore. They know, oh, it's sin, so what? No big deal. They're not upset over it. They're not apologizing. I'm sorry, God. But Josiah, he knew the problem in this. Now, another aspect of the king tearing his clothes like this, it just goes to show us how shocked that he was to finally have this reaction to the law. He read it and, oh my God, we, we have done so wrong. This gives us an indication of how long it had been since Judah had asked the Lord on what to do about anything. You know, you're supposed to consult with the Lord before you do things. Look how long it had been since they asked God, God, you know, we got this situation here. What should we do? They haven't asked God what he thought about anything. This just goes to show how long it had been. The knowledge of God's law 
plus the act of asking God, how should we conduct ourselves, Lord? This had become such a foreign concept to them by now that to now finally discover what sin actually is, it was so shocking that it really broke him. He was really genuinely sorry for the fact that they had always done everything their own way. And so now he wanted to ask the Lord finally, Lord God, what should I do to make things right? How do I do things your way, Lord? That was where Josiah was at. Second Kings 22 and 14. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahakim, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tigvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. Wow. Okay, God's angry. They sinned for decades, guys. This didn't just happen overnight. God is long-suffering and patient, but now it was time to get in there and fix things. So God's, God's upset. We, this has to stop. But first, who is this woman, Holda? Okay. Back in the day, women were second rate. You got all people fighting about that right now over this gender stuff. You know, so when the, when the Bible hits that they spoke to a woman, whoa, what's going on? Why'd they talk to her? First off, who is she? She was married to Shalom. He was in charge of the wardrobe, it says. That could have been the priest's wardrobe, maybe even the king's royal clothing. But Holda had the gift of prophecy. But so did a lot of other men during that time, though. See, we, in that time, we had Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Those were men that were prophets in that day. But the king's men were sent to see Holda. Now, the text does not give us the reason why they were sent to her. Uh, maybe she was closer, that they could get a word back quicker. I've heard some speculation out there that the reason why they went to see her instead of a man is maybe they thought that coming from a woman, maybe her response would be less harsh than what a man would say. But I, I just find that to be unreliable information. I, I don't think King Josiah would have been thinking like this. Hey, go see Holda because she'll probably talk nicer. <laughs> I don't think he was thinking like that. Of course, when you saw that when they asked her, she didn't soften the message down at all. She gave the same response that any man prophet would have given, that the Lord was going to bring calamity on, Ju on Judah. Now, I want you to understand there is not a contradiction with the biblical verses here because it is in the Bible. However argumentative it is, a lot of people don't want to hear this. The Bible does say that women are not to be pastors. Now, I want you to recognize Hulda did not preach a sermon here. She was not acting as an elder of a church. She wasn't instructing men. She was merely speaking according to the word of the Lord, what the Lord God said. Because she said, thus says the Lord God, okay, the Lord God of Israel. And she also spoke this in the presence of her husband, Shalom. Thank 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.